welcome to Manufacturing Talk Radio, the only show that takes a look at the obstacles and opportunities open to small to mid-sized enterprises that manufacture here in America. Brought to you by All Metals and Forge Group, with your hosts, Tim Grady and Lou Wise. Welcome, everyone, to Manufacturing Talk Radio. My name is Tim Grady. I'm here with my co-host, Lou Weiss. Lou, how are you today? I'm great, and uh, I'm almost uh, recovered from the uh, Fabtech show out in Chicago that you and I did uh, for four days. Uh, my feet are great, and uh, I'm uh, all rested out. So on with the show. That was, a, that was a challenging show. Long show. We learned a lot while we were there. So uh, I really enjoyed it. 50,000 50, attendants, 1,500 uh, exhibitors and 750,000 square feet. It was quite a show. We couldn't interview them all. We tried. But on today's show, on today's show, we have Norbert Orr back with us. Uh, Norbert is one of our senior correspondents. He's also the uh, director and head of industry surveys for Strategus Research Partners. He's also the former chair of the Institute of Supply Management's uh, Manufacturing Business Survey Committee that put out the report on business every month. Uh, Norbert, how are you today? Great. Happy to be with you. Well, we're certainly excited to have you here. You're putting uh, out a document that uh, you put out very close to the first of every month, which is the Global uh, Business Survey Insights. And so I, I'd like you to share with us uh, um, what that report is showing for manufacturing going forward. Everybody's kind of on pins and needles. How are we doing? Where are we going? Are we going to hold up? Yeah, every month uh, offers a new challenge, I guess, in terms of interpreting what's going on. Uh, we seem to be uh, on a very flat spell as far as manufacturing is concerned. Uh, the ISM data came in. Uh, uh, August was 51.1, September 50.2, October 50.1. So not much growing in, in, the, in the manufacturing sector. Uh, the good news is uh, we, we've seen some of the um, activity in Europe and Asia and uh, the U.K. all uh, improved uh, last month. And so uh, I think maybe uh, we hit an inflection point as far as manufacturing is concerned, and uh, I would be encouraged to see it uh, come back uh, a little bit in November and December. Uh, Norbert, uh, in view of the fact that this is two days after the uh, French uh, uh, terrorist attack, do you feel as though that there's going to be any significant uh, interruption in the numbers for the next uh, two, three months, four months? I, I don't think it will have a, a, that much of a global effect. Uh, but it's certainly going to be an impact. Uh, France has been in a manufacturing recession, or manufacturing recession for months. And the last two months, September and October, their index was at 50.6 uh, in each month. Uh, August was 48.3. And uh, so I, I think it's probably going to have more of an impact. Uh, the malaise that comes with it, the uncertainty that comes with it, uh, the expectations that uh, uh, kind of fall between the cracks as, as far as their economy is concerned. So uh, I, I, I think it will have a, a much greater impact. You know it's got to hurt tourism in France, and uh, certainly uh, on a car, uh, an economy that was marginal to begin with, this additional uh, challenge is, 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 going to be, uh, is, is going to be a tough scene for quite, quite a number of months. Just a question about that. So how and, and is the Eurozone in general doing, Norbert? Well, the, as I mentioned, the, the overall, some of our trading partners had a much better month. Now, that's unusual. And I think we also have to factor in uh, the services sector in the United States is the uh, fastest-growing area uh, economic uh, index uh, is fastest growing uh, of any uh, that, that we monitor globally. Uh, that index was at 59.1. So we have this divergence between the U.S. manufacturing and U.S. services 
the good news is services are about four times larger than manufacturing, so that can carry the U.S. economy. Back to the Eurozone. Overall, uh, their index was at 52.3. That was up three-tenths of a point. Uh, Greece was the only uh, country in the Eurozone of the eight countries that uh, was not showing growth. And even Greece is, uh, uh, they, they should take delight in the fact that they're not declining as fast uh, as the <laughs> index came in at 47.3, which um, given their situation, I guess that's a real plus is to, to not uh, be in as rapid a descent as, uh, as they have been. But, uh, you know, Italy was at 54.1, Netherlands at 53.7, and Ireland at 53.6. So, so some real strength there. And then the real surprise this past month was the U.K. Uh, their index was up 3.7 points to 55.5. And, a half. and that, this is the 31st consecutive month that they've been above 50. So uh, the U.K. has, uh, has gone through this quite well. Uh, if anybody... Uh, I, I think uh, it feels some problems from uh, everything that's gone on in Paris. Uh, it probably would be the U.K. because uh, uh, they identify with uh, many of the situations that uh, France has in terms of immigration, et cetera. So, and the proximity, they're, they're very strong trading partners. So they, they could be impacted if anybody is going to. Uh, Norbert, I, I, from a selfish, self-centered position, um, from uh, the, the fact that I sell uh, steel forgings, I'm looking at Chicago, which is, uh, you know, the center of industry in this country, and it has a 56.2 uh, 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 PMI, um, and the U.S. is 50.1, I believe. Uh, what's going on in Chicago in that whole Midwest Rust Belt area? Obviously, it, some Chicago is kind of a, a, a paradox. Uh, the way the uh, index is structured in Chicago, it's 65% manufacturing and 35% non-manufacturing. Mm. And uh, I, it's one of the reasons I, I, I hesitate to put a lot of uh, – uh, credence in what's coming from Chicago uh, because uh, of that issue. And uh, they were up almost eight points. That's the other reason is uh, that's a lot of variability. And so it, it makes me worry about that. But if the services sector is as strong as the national services sector, it's probably more a reflection of what's going on. Uh, and, and you probably know this better than I, Lou. Uh, a lot of people point to Chicago and say, well, that's a good indication of the um, auto industry. Uh, I think it's an indicator of whether it's a good indicator of autos. Again, it's hard to break, uh, hard to break out. Uh, I like uh, they, they've restarted the southeastern Michigan survey, uh, and it came in at 58.4. Now, uh, southeastern Michigan also uses uh, the services, the 6535. The only difference is there's really not much of a service sector in Detroit. And so it's, it's mostly the manufacturing sector, I think, that, uh, that is really reporting from that. Then uh, on the other side of Chicago, I like Milwaukee's. So I pay more attention to Milwaukee and Detroit than, uh, than I do uh, the Chicago survey, frankly. Well, I, I would think that the tourist trade of Detroit is not really high on the parade of, of these numbers. <laughs> but I, I the, think that'd be a safe bet. <laughs> the meanwhile, the auto sales are projected this year at seventeen point nine, I think, eight million. Uh, that's pretty close to, uh, I think the highest is twenty two million, but it's a pretty high number, eighteen million uh, units. Yeah, it's obvious, you know, the auto industry benefited from the fact that a lot of people uh, after Lehman Brothers, uh, Debacle, and so on, um, a lot of people had car credit that didn't have credit to buy houses or they weren't willing to take the risk of buying the house, uh, but they could get the credit uh, and invest in automobiles. I think, frankly, uh, 
I'm, I'm, you know, like everybody else, somewhat an observer of the auto industry. Uh, they've got the best lineup of products that they've ever had. They really have products that people want. And so I think it's really encouraged that. Uh, and, and the recovery in, you know, in, um, in housing has been very slow. Uh, and it's, uh, there were those who expected this year to take off. And I didn't feel that could happen because it's such a long cycle of, uh, involved in, in uh, home building in terms of permitting, building permits and so on, land acquisition, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so um, many are looking for a better year in 2016 from that. But uh, uh, right now, between the services sector and autos, that's where the heart of, uh, of the recovery is in, in the U.S. And uh, I don't think we can afford for either one of those to back off. Uh, we would we would have some real problems with with the dollar as strong as it is. That would be a, a real challenge for us. Well, Norbert, how are the economies doing north and south of our U.S. borders in Canada and Mexico? Doing uh, those those two are, are diverging. Also, Canada came in. Uh, with a, a fairly weak month, uh, and uh, they are, too, looking at a manufacturing recession at least and probably an overall recession. Uh, the, their index has averaged 49.6 since January for uh, uh, manufacturing. So the Canadian economy is, is uh, commodity-based. Uh, and that's where their their big big bucks come from. Of course, we didn't help them at all with the Keystone Pipeline uh, going. Uh, uh, we're, we're not going to support the idea of that. Uh, right. That was one of the ways, one of the best ways for them to move uh, move product out of Canada. Uh, so uh, they they've still got uh, a struggle in front of them. Now there's a new government, so there's a great deal of uncertainty. Uh, not uh, not a pretty picture. Uh, Mexico, on the other hand, uh, uh, saw uh, production expanding at its fastest rate since May. Uh, they've been on a roll for quite a quite a number of months. Uh, a lot of that is uh, auto industry. Uh, they benefit greatly. Uh, we, we make a lot of products for the auto industry that either are assemb uh, built or assembled in Mexico and. Uh, what is built it isn't built in Mexico gets built here uh, with components coming out of Mexico. We did uh, a report uh, several five six months ago on the aerospace segment uh, of Mexico, where they're getting an incredible amount of uh, uh, movement from companies leaving Texas and California and opening up down in Mexico. There's about 400 companies now making U.S. aircraft parts. Which kind of concerns me. Well, you, you know, the good news is uh, the, the aircraft industry, and, and when we talk about autos and, and uh, services, we ought to probably also add aircraft in because um, that's doing quite well. And there's so many different uh, companies, and uh, not only the, the big people like Boeing, but the um, uh, the Gulf Streams uh, and so on. Also, you have Airbus uh, with uh, a new facility in Mobile, Alabama, and so the the aviation industry is is quite good right now. Uh, we don't keep all of it here, but uh, a lot of what they buy is uh, low volume uh, comparatively. They're not putting out the uh, 500,000 uh, 787s a month. Uh, it's very low numbers, and so it's a lot of custom uh, product and so on that uh, uh, is, is going to find its way to uh, those who have comparative advantage. And labor is, in this case, comparative advantage. Norbert, I know that <clears throat> each month you follow the PMI number, and you also uh, do a survey yourself, and that's for Strategus Research Partners. And if anybody wants to be part of that Strategus Research Partners survey, they need to send an email to nore at strategus 
S-T-R-A-T-E-G-A-S-R-P, it's S-T-R-A-T-E-G-A-S-R-P.com. And let Norbert Orr know that you would like to participate in that survey because you're a manufacturer. Uh, as you looked at... Yeah, uh, uh, let, let me also add to that, Tim. One, I appreciate you sure. adding that in. But uh, the benefit of doing it is there's only two questions, what's happening to new orders and what's happening to supplier deliveries. And the benefit to anybody that participates is you get this information back uh, when it's published, uh, and you also get my review of the monthly... Uh, global PMI situation and global business situation along with that. So uh, as a reward for participating, you get a, a lot of good information, uh, plus the fact that uh, Strategus does a, an awful, awful lot of uh, research work that has application to people in supply chains, and it's a real opportunity uh, from, for, to get online uh, to see some of that work. Uh, I share that when I, something applies to supply chains that I think is interesting, I send it out to the people that are on the panel. So uh, it, it, there, there is reciprocity. Give me, give me your data on uh, a monthly basis, and I'll shoot you a lot of information back. Uh, Robert, as, as you know, we have a monthly newsletter. Uh, we'll put a spot in there about that uh, for the sake of our readers. Uh, about uh, joining Strategist uh, Survey. Very good. And what, if you can share it with us, Norbert, what, are, what does November look like for manufacturers? Uh, is it improving? Is it still soft? Where is it headed? Uh, I expect that we'll see a, a slight improvement. Uh, uh, you know, all of this ties back to what's happening with GDP. And, you know, are we seeing any growth in the economy and particularly on the manufacturing side? And uh, it, manufacturing is, is pretty much going sideways. But I think we'll see a little bit of an upward uh, movement this month. Uh, I'll be surprised. One, we can't go any lower and still be growing uh, than, <laughs> right. than, than where we were. Uh, and the, the other thing is I've found that the November data uh, – uh, you'll recall the index went from uh, 52 in September to, uh, to from 50.2 in uh, September to 50.1 in October, which in essence means it's a little bit weaker. But the reality was the uh, both new orders and production were above 52, and so uh, by my way of judging it. Uh, uh, October was a much better month than September, even though the index was slightly lower. So I, I think that was an inflection point where we'll continue to see some uh, some growth in, in the manufacturing sector. It's just not going to be uh, that. It is certainly nobody's going to call it remarkable by the end of the year. <laughs> we might. <laughs> <laughs> Well, well, we have a wheel in the office uh, in the studio here that has numbers on it from 0 to 4.0 in, in, in one-tenth increments, which we spend to figure out what the GDP number is going to be for the fourth quarter. <laughs> what, what do you think it's going to be, Norbert? Well, obviously, there's a number of economists that are subscribing to your service uh, <laughs> and one in on, one in on the spin. Uh you know, I, I think we're, we're going to be back down under 2%, uh, and, and frankly, that should be totally unacceptable to us. Uh, we have lagged significantly in this recovery from where we have been, and uh, uh, we're going to continue to get the same result unless we make some, some major changes in uh, uh, public policy that uh, allows uh, allows both manufacturing and non-manufacturing uh, to grow faster than, than what we're seeing currently. Uh, you know, G GDP uh, is a measurement of the overall economy that is very, very loose uh, comparatively. Uh, and by loose, what I mean is um, they, they do a lot of survey work and so on to try to get that right, but uh, uh, well, they come back with their revisions and so on. So you never know on the first read just exactly where you're going to be. Uh, 
uh, when when they when they end up. Yeah, it takes the second or third revision to know that they're probably wrong anyway. <laughs> yeah, Lou, if you know, we really ought to have the discipline to say I'm not going to pay any attention to that number until it gets to the second revision. That's exactly uh, right. Um, it, it, it's the, the revisions uh, always seem to go, and you know, employment uh, employment looked real good. That's generally a good indicator of uh, uh, of strength in in the economy, but a lot of it was temporary jobs. So uh, maybe it didn't look quite as good as the total number was, and uh, the the number that they uh, the headline number that they used. Uh, I was looking today at the New York or Empire State Survey, and uh, uh, the P they don't do a PMI, but I, I make up a PMI based on the data that they've got, which makes it comparable so that when I talk about it, it's equivalent to the uh, others. Uh, the um, PMI for um, the Empire State was 44.3. So a very weak report. Now that's their October data. That's not November, but certainly that area of the country is uh, is not doing as well as others. Uh, Philadelphia was weak. Uh, Dallas was weak. Uh, so th there's geographically there's there's hot spots and cold spots uh, around the country of areas that are that are doing well. We talked about aviation. The Pacific Northwest has weakened a little bit, um, but still, still holding holding its own, I guess. Um, but anyway, there's there's various areas that are that are strong and various areas that are weak. So should we move to Chicago? Uh, <laughs> if you want to, uh, for this month anyway, and you might be able to get uh, get in and out of there in November before weather gets too bad. <laughs> Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Norbert, how does South America look? Uh, I know Brazil is weak, but other than Brazil, is there any bright shining star in South America? Uh, well, I just got back from Jamaica this week and was down there for a couple of days, and uh, the Caribbean in general is soft, uh, and uh, Jamaica, Trinidad, uh all uh, could use some more growth, but they're so highly dependent on what comes out of the U.S. Uh, in terms of uh, supply, demand, and so on uh, to be able to do that. The, the rest of South America is still more in a recession than anything else. Uh, Brazil's obviously the, the biggest economy uh, in South America, and uh, Brazil uh, has... Uh, they have two things going on right now. One of them is getting ready for the Olympics, and it looks like to me what reading I've been able to do on it, they're they're struggling. They were supposed to build uh, a number of different sites and so on, and they're way behind on the schedule of that. So we'll see how how they handle that. Um, the, uh, and on the other side of of, uh, of the equation, the petroleum industry and chemical industry, which is uh, where uh, they've made a lot of bets uh, as far as the future, uh, those are very soft, and uh, so South America is struggling in general. So I guess our next jump is uh, across the uh, western pond to Asia. How does Asia look? Yeah, uh, Asia... Uh, Looks better. The uh, uh, Japanese, <laughs> the Japanese survey uh, came in at 52.4. Uh, Japan seems to be moving in the right direction. Uh, India has weakened just a little bit, uh, but yet uh, uh, holding up and, and should continue to uh, to do okay. And again, we're talking manufacturing in these countries, mm -hmm. uh, obviously. Uh, the two China surveys. Uh, one survey, the CFLP, the official survey, came in at 49.8, uh, but it's averaged, I think, 49.9 uh, uh, for all of this year. Uh, and uh, uh, the other survey is called the Kaishin China General Manufacturing Survey, 
and it seems to be a little more reflective. They include multinationals, and so uh, they're, they're uh, we're going to see uh, a little more variability there, which is good because it shows some things moving in the right direction uh, when and if they do. Uh, the the best information we have, uh, and I'll rely on my associates at Strategus, uh, the best information we have, we believe that they are running somewhere around 5 to 7% growth. Um, the problem is they've tried to convert to a consumer-based economy from a uh, 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 Goods and from a uh, capital goods based or a investment based economy with uh, uh, spending on infrastructure and so on. Um, in order to get the economy going again, we believe that they're going to have to um, uh, start to focus on more infrastructure and the things they were trying to move away from. That they can mobilize that better than they can mobilize the consumer economy that they're trying to trying to put in place and so mm -hmm. seeing seeing that happen uh, the the other thing that I always remember is uh, China has a middle class between 200 and 300 million people and I think um, they um, um, that, that's a, a very upwardly mobile middle class they're educated uh, they, they want more so I, I think they'll do that but, but I, I do think if they shift back Toward the infrastructure-based e economy, uh, they could come out of this much quicker. And frankly, that would help commodities and so on. It would uh, it would have more of a lift as far uh, more of a lift outside of China uh, uh, because of that. So hopefully, uh, ho hopefully they'll be able to get that reignited. Okay. Well, that certainly sounds much stronger. I see mining still continues to struggle in the U.S. Is that also true around the world, uh, Norbert? Yeah, it's whether it's like I said, I was in Jamaica, and uh, that's the site of a lot of bauxite mining, uh, and uh, that's slow, uh, obviously, with aluminum doing what it's doing. Uh, copper is at lows that. Uh, are ridiculously cheap in, in terms of copper, but China consumes 40% of the world's copper production. So if they're not building, uh, that industry is going, going to, uh, to struggle. Um, and most of the others, titanium, et cetera, mo most of them, uh, even with aircraft and with the autos putting uh, aluminum bodies in and so on, there's still a huge amount of excess uh, capacity uh, that's slowly getting shut in, so uh, the market will correct over time. Well, that's good to know. We appreciate the update report. We're going to take a commercial break, and we've been speaking with Norbert Orr, who is the Director and Head of Industry Surveys for Strategist Research Partners, and he always shares a lot of information on the 18 global surveys that he follows. Norbert, thank you for being with us. My pleasure as always. Thank you, Norbert. And we'll be back after this brief commercial break. Manufacturing Talk Radio will be right back. American Crane and Equipment Corporation in Douglasville, Pennsylvania, is a leader in specialized cranes, hoists, and material handling equipment for industries including aerospace, nuclear, oil and gas, transit, construction, and waste handling. Call 877-877-6778 or visit AmericanCrane.com. That's AmericanCrane.com or 877-877-6778. How do you keep your business humming? Where do you go when you're looking for quality suppliers of new equipment? Components, MRO supplies, repair services, or even raw materials. 30 years ago, you would have turned to the Thomas Register. Today, those big green books are better than ever at ThomasNet.com industry's leading platform for product sourcing and supplier discovery. You can easily find that local machine shop, national distributor, OEM, or any supplier having the right quality certification. Fast and free. You can even get to specific products, components, or downloadable 3D CAD drawings simply by entering specifications or part numbers. 
There's a reason thomasnet.com has become the go-to supplier discovery tool for procurement professionals and engineers. There's simply no other resource like it, and it's all free. Go to thomasnet.com today and see how top-notch supplier discovery doesn't have to put a dent into your bottom line. All Metals and Forge Group is an ISO 9001 AS and EN 9100 manufacturer of open die forgings and seamless rolled rings in alloy, carbon, stainless and tool steels, aluminum, copper, titanium, and nickel alloys. Visit us at steelforge.com or call 800-600-9290. Welcome back to Manufacturing Talk Radio. And you're listening to Manufacturing Talk Radio with your host, Tim Grady and Lou Weiss. And we are talking in this segment with Stephen Gold, who's president and CEO of the Manufacturers Alliance for Productivity and Innovation, commonly known as MAPI. It's a membership organization that provides unique thought leadership for the manufacturing sector, through economic research and executive development opportunities for manufacturing executives, put out a lot of terrific information. Stephen, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Good promo for Maypie. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. We allow people to shamelessly promote their organization on our show. <laughs> well, you can keep it up. And I've noticed you, you guys have had some really uh, smart uh, people on. And you I guess my colleague, Jen Calloway, was on not that long ago. I'm not sure how you ended up with me on, but... Uh, I'm delighted to be here. <laughs> well, you put together a terrific report, uh, you know, the five megatrends in manufacturing, which we're looking forward to speaking with you about today. Can you share with us, Stephen, uh, with our listeners, how you developed that report and what those five megatrends are? Sure. And let me just take a step back and, and note that, um, you know, manu- megatrends are not new to manufacturing. Uh, manufa- I always say manufacturer. But we are living in a, in a new time. And so what we did was we went out to um, you know, we went out to our members, and we went out to our experts. We have a number of experts on staff, and uh, and we we talked about what what are the seismic shifts that are occurring now or will be occurring over the next uh, couple of decades that are going to have an impact and can't really transform that uh, manufacturing. And I will say this. I left a number of them out. I mean, there, there's, in fact, disagreement. Uh, I, I'm not sure if we've sent you our megatrend brochure, but they, uh, people who put the megatrend together, included a topic I didn't include, a regulation that I included the topic they didn't so the um, the five megatrends to initially pr- um, publicize, and, and believe me, again, there are plenty of others, and they're very broad. One is technology's promise and perils, uh, and, and I'll, I'll, I'll just go through the list, and then we can you know talk about them. But one is what sure. we call the new workforce. Um, one is uh, information as the new currency, and what we mean by that really is data. And, and, and of course, there's, there's uh, some overlap with these, as you can imagine, these topics. Uh, one is globalized risks and opportunities, and that really gets to the um, crux of the global marketplace, the new risks and opportunities that manufacturers are seeing in a global marketplace. And the final one, uh, which is – a longer-term trend but should have an, a, a big impact on manufacturers is urbanization. Well, why don't you start from the top, and uh, let's talk about the new I, industrial I, revolution. I, I will, and that's great. It's the perfect place to start because everybody knows it's happening. Um, you know, Gordon Moore back in 1965 you know, predicted that the number of transistors in an integrated circuit would double every approximately every two years. He did not know that it would last half a century. And, and what right. we're seeing is he, the, the, the first industrial revolution, of course, was mechanization generated by steam power. The second uh, was um, mass production uh, generated by electricity, 
electric power. What we're seeing now is really a combination of connectivity and digitalization that is um, creating really an exponential growth in technology. Just to give you some examples, the smartphones of today, uh, and, and you know those of us who didn't have them back when, compared to their, you know, the bulky mobile phones that we had in the late eight, 1980s, the computing power of today's smartphone is um, it's a million times cheaper, it's a million times smaller, it's a thousand times more powerful. The world population today is 7.3 billion. The number of connected devices in the world is 11 billion. So what you're seeing is this exponential growth in technology, and that's having a huge impact on manufacturing because obviously it's it's leading to smarter factories. What we call what we're you're starting to you've heard over the last few years the industrial internet, where you have you know factory floors that and integrated uh, supply chains that are using physical components that are using um, software and and smart components and and that are using connectivity and that's improving productivity it's improving time to market um, it's improving uh, it's reducing the number of errors uh, and such so and that and then of course that, that's for manufacturers what's the next step is what we call the internet of things which is going to connect everything. We're connecting, you know, your refrigerator in 10 years will be able to tell your grocery store that you're out of milk. And, of course, we already know that, that houses, uh, you know, thermostats are able to talk to utilities and, and we're able to control uh, our, our climate control, our houses through that. So, again, this is leading to enormous change in, in, our, in, our, in the manufacturing sector. Uh, I haven't even mentioned 3D printing, which is you know mass customization um, and mass production combined with customization. It's never happened before. Uh, you know nanotechnology, uh, which is uh, which is making products you know smaller uh, and, and and but safer um, and more durable. Uh, but there's a downside. So those those are the promises. There's an enormous the manufacturing is going to it's going to be worth hundreds of billions of dollars to manufacturers. But the downside, of course, is that uh, hackers can get your not only sites, they can go ahead and um, you know steal your um, intellectual property. So that's the te that's the technology's promise and perils that we're seeing. Okay, um, you know one of the things that comes up in many of our shows is uh, the aging workforce, and and right on the tail of that is automation and robotics. Stephen, where is that going? <laughs> Yeah, so that's the, of course the new workforce is the second um, mega trend, and and I'll touch on the robotics in a second. But let me just note: ten thousand baby boomers are retiring every day here. That's you know manufacturing is not just manufacturing; every sector is seeing a rapidly aging workforce. Um, the good news is that the United States is not aging as fast as as the other, and it's good news for us. Uh, but not aging as, its workforce is not aging as fast as as other developed nations and and actually developing nations for that matter. The world is growing very fast. By by 2050, the median age in Germany, Japan, and and South Korea is going to be over 50. In China, it'll be 46. But in the United States, it'll be 41. So uh, that's so so. Needless to say, there's a, there's a challenge there because we're losing um, a, a large institutional body of knowledge as well as a large number of people from a workforce. Now, the upside to that, of course, is that uh, automation increases productivity, and, uh, and, you, and you're seeing that in, in the rise of robotics where you're seeing uh, you know, companies using robots and humans together uh, to create you know, safer, uh, you know, faster production times and such. And so, uh, there, and there's an interesting debate going on, of course, of whether robots will take over, you know, the world. You, you see economists on two sides of the aisle. Uh, uh, David Artur is um, out of MIT, though, is a strong believer that this is actually going to be uh, end up uh, raising living our living standards and uh, the, the introduction of robotics and, and more automation because we have an aging workforce and because we won't be able to. Um, Somehow we have to increase productivity uh, if we're going to increase our living standards. So, uh, so you you are that is, that's something that you're we're seeing much much faster uh, at a faster rate today than than uh, than we even expected just ten years ago. I will, uh, let me note, let me note one other thing about demographics. It's not just about aging. 
We also, you know, our, our population's changing. The white working age population in this country in 1980 was 82% of the population was, was white working, uh, was, was white. It's by 2020, it's going to be 63%. Our demographics in terms of the number of women and minorities coming into um, uh, the workforce is all, is, aside from the aging, that's another huge demographic change um, in, in, our, uh, in our society. Uh, and, but, but, that's actually because we have more, and this is you know somewhat politically controversial, but because we have a more open immigration policy here, uh, it's going to allow us at least to grow our workforce uh, to some extent, unlike um, you know country, countries like China or Japan or, or Germany. Uh, this is uh, Lou Stephen. Uh, the other factors that will help our uh, work uh, workforce is uh, uh, bringing uh, women into the focus more than uh, past decades. Uh, women in manufacturing is a is a great resource, and they're really gaining a lot of uh, uh, importance uh, coast to coast. And additionally, there's uh, you know the veteran issue. Uh, and there are organizations out there that are uh, training and retraining um, uh, the, the the valid the valor heroes uh, to get them jobs. And we're talking about millions of people, both included yes. with uh, women and veterans. Yeah, yeah, very good points. Uh, uh, and 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 of course, in terms of the veterans uh, trained in technical skills. This is one of the challenges, of course, you guys know you've had guests on before talk about. Um, the millennials may be digital natives, uh, but they are, as we know, uh, in our society, um, more and more lacking in the science, technology, engineering, math skills. And and these uh, these veterans coming out are 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 that's they are trained in that. And so that is something that you're seeing more and more groups helping. And manufacturers are working with Veterans groups are working with you know technical colleges and such to to try to do that. And again, your good point about the women as well. Uh, the challenge we have is that uh, you know the, it's kind of manufacturing, as you guys know, is stigmatized for so long that uh, a survey, I think, um, an NAM survey showed you know 37% of U.S. adults would encourage their children to enter manufacturing, which is a huge mistake because that is the future of our middle class. And of course. Uh, a, a large number of of of, uh, of youth would find very fulfilling careers in manufacturing. Consistent with uh, consistent with Moore's law and the doubling of transistors every eighteen to twenty four months, the cost of robotics seems to be plummeting at a fairly rapid rate, and the ROI seems to be shortening. What's happening in robotics and manufacturing? Yeah, so it's interesting, and you're you're seeing it's and it's tied to what's happening in robotics is it's tied to the entire um, uh, increase in automation in in manufacturing uh, in in Europe, of course. Uh, you know they call it industry uh, 4.0 here. We call it the uh, in, industrial internet. Uh, but you are uh, robotics are taking over increased an increasing number of of uh, roles. In which they can work with humans. They're, they're obviously math, robot, robotic math skills are better. They can make faster decisions, but they, but they don't have judgment. They don't have common sense. And so what you're seeing is a number of companies, especially in our membership, um, uh, combining the use of robotics in uh, not only in in the cre in the making of obviously you know automotive and, and aerospace, but in uh, Along uh, smaller, uh, more discrete um, factory floors, and and I think that's tied to the third, um, um, the, the the third megatrend, which is the information as currency. Because what you're able to do is big, you know, data, big data in in um, has been in retail and finance for a long time, and, and what they do with big data and those is they try to determine what customer buying. But in manufacturing, it's really more it's more than just that. It's about trying to come up with a, a total total customer experience. And, and, and data allows manufacturing to accelerate the integration of IT, of manufacturing and of operational systems systems on the shop floor includes robotics. You know, it leads to better forecasting, leads to better plant performance. Um, but it also 
is going to you know customers now know more about the total cost of ownership and and manufacturers becoming service for the big information on hand allows us not to be active but to be proactive in terms of how our manufacturers take large products and then we're not necessarily talking poster ovens or you know we're we're talking about major engines and such that go into airplanes and such um it allows uh, you know our, our manufacturers to uh respond to you know the, the challenge the, the downtime to see to put sensors uh in in these uh these products and and get, collect data to determine uh, how fast they're wearing out and such so big so manu- for, for manufacturing big data is actually about um both trying to help the customer more create it, it's a new form of competition uh but also improving the productivity on the factory floor now you've also talked Stephen, about uh, global supply chains in the marketplace that's a that's a huge shift for manufacturing you know you're used to get your supplies if you were in Wisconsin from Iowa and your competitor was in Illinois that's no longer the right. case is it no well and and although we're seeing um a number of trends uh, change over you know so so uh, 20 years ago or even at the turn of the uh, the century the millennia you know you saw longer and longer supply chains being created obviously with uh, with low cost um relatively inexpensive labor in asia and then latin america and such you you could uh stretch the supply chains out um the fourth mega trend is what we call global risks and opportunities um and and supply chains while supply chain it, it sometimes it makes a lot of sense to to stretch them halfway across the world as we now know uh, there are a number of factors that can impede the success of supply chain or you have to do what happened with the tsunami in Japan a few years back uh, and so um, and, and that and and by the way there are other you know I I did not put near shoring as a mega trend but you are seeing a shift in supply chains because uh, if you can if you if you have political instability or economic instability in certain areas um you you know manufacturers are, are revisiting uh how how um how to optimize those their supply uh but the fact is you know it's a global marketplace uh and uh you know you have rapidly growing even relative to to developed nations rapidly growing markets in south america and and still in china and india although obviously uh right now it's um as a your your pre- previous uh uh guests talked about it you know things are slowing down around the world a, a, a bit but but the uh because you have these rapidly growing marketplaces american manufacturers are you know they're they're 95% of our customers are are outside of our borders and and because of that 45% of the us manufacturing revenue is generated now overseas uh you know they want to be close to their markets so uh so to the to that extent supply chains if if you want to if it if it's if it's easier to make components in one part of the world and bring them over to another and and now you we manufacturers know that you know if if they can reduce the or mitigate the risk they'll do that but if they can get closer to the marketplace they'll do that as well um but it is there are other you know the global marketplace there are all sorts of risks currency fluctuations obviously have become a huge risk for uh for 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 manufacturers as well so there are a number of it, it's a mega the mega trend there is simply that uh it's a global marketplace and we're just, we are realizing now um that uh, there are enormous opportunities but there are also some sizable risks uh, when 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 companies go global and i think the last uh, mega trend which i find fascinating and i really want to ask you if it's a us phenomenon that we're going to see in addition to a global or is it more global and not so us and that's the growth of new mega cities yeah so so it it, it the urbaniz- urbanization's a fascinating and and I'll tell you why it's important to manufacturing it's a fascinating phenomenon it, it and the UN is estimating that the number of people percentage of people living in urban areas is going to climb from 54% today to 66% uh, by the year 2050 at the migration of 2.4 billion people now you are going to see some of it in in this uh, country but most of it's actually going to occur 
regions in in asia and in africa and and you are in fact i think they are the number of mega cities today is twenty nine this is if you have ten million or more people it's going to be forty one by the year two thousand thirty now the reason this is important for manufacturing is first of all it does create great opportunities in terms of a diversity of production related resources it creates global geographic clusters where you can combine you know human labor with educational institutions with suppliers with manufacturers but most important is that this is an indication of the rise of the middle class and we have one point eight billion middle class in the world we had in two thousand nine about one point eight billion people in the middle class in two thousand twenty that's going to be three point two billion people and in two thousand thirty it's going to be four point nine billion people now a rise of the middle class is the key to manufacturing success when people have money they buy products now most of our members typically are b to b or industrial members but the fact of the matter is the end customer is always going to be the consumer and that number consumers around the world is an enormous opportunity for u.s. manufacturers because our products are still the most highly valued around the world so that's and it is that is a it's fascinating that that's going to be happening but remember it's not going to be you won't really see it I mean you have New York City you have LA but in this country you have a limited number and most of those mega cities are going to be in Asia and Africa we're hearing good news coming we're hearing other good news coming out of Africa in terms of manufacturing beginning to take hold at low cost and some higher education levels what do you what's your take on that well I'll be honest we don't so most again we we do track all the regions of the world Africa is behind it is the of all the continents it's the one that's slowest developed you have some of the more affluent countries in Africa that are that 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 US and Chinese and European countries are starting to invest in but there is a huge challenge of Africa still and this is 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 infrastructure and 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 education and so it's really it there's no doubt it's behind Eastern Europe in this area it's a and Latin America for that matter it's really the the developing developing world in which our members are and our US manufacturers are just beginning to go over and try to determine but because of the previous megatrend that I just mentioned it's something that they're looking at with a long term at least US manufacturers with a long term lens there's something that they can you know by the year 2030 assuming political stability in in Africa, and again, you have several Africas, right? You have you have um, uh, the North Africa, which is not a politically stable area right now. You have Central and South uh, Southern Africa. Uh, assuming political stability in, in a growing number of countries and, and, a, and a, an increased infrastructure, which is really critical. They need Western help for that. Uh, then you're going to definitely see uh, it, uh, manufacturing occur there. Um, again, they're a long way away, though, from in terms of, uh, especially at the educational level, in terms of uh, developing universities and school systems that can really, uh, considering manufacturing in the next 15 years is going to be almost completely advanced, even even what we consider labor-intensive manufacturing is going to be advanced within the next 15 years. Stephen, and so you'll need you'll need those skills. Go on. Sorry. Uh, you were talking a few moments ago about stability and political stability. Uh, this week, we've had uh, our, our we've been shaken to our boots with what's gone on in uh, France and Belgium, and uh, you know we know that economists predict based on known factors today, and then something happens overnight, and then the factors change. And uh, as uh, Dr. Chris Keel would say from FAM, would say this, this, and this, unless this happens, 
or this, this, and this unless that happens. So the things that we've been talking about, is anything factored in uh, in regards to the possibilities of continued uh, terrorism that's even going now beyond the borders of the Mideast? Well, uh, I, 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 so, yes. just, just, to, just to comment uh, one more point, I remember sure. uh, 9-11, uh, when that happened here in the New York area, uh, the, I'm, my primary business is uh, producing open dive forgings. Um, we were receiving order cancellations the next day, and it took years yes. to come out of that, that gray funk. So in one day, the entire uh, uh, environment changed. And not You're to exactly say that, right. And in fact, yeah. I was, I was going to mention that. That's exactly right. Now, we actually – that there is evidence that that – now, remember, the 2001 recession was a very mild recession except for, for manufacturing. Manufacturing entered a pretty significant recession because of – and a good, good amount of evidence that 9-11 led to that because of a, a halt in, in, in global trade. And you – there is a concern – um, that th these kinds of this kind of incident. Now we haven't seen it yet. The market, of course, is, has rebounded, but there is the concern that if you see these kinds of incidents, mass incidents uh, occurring, that it could create uh, some kind of slowdown um, in, in, in trade until until. Uh, manufacturers or and others try, can come to grips with what type of corporate security and and other kinds of security measures they're going to need. But it always it it's this this particular kind of course uh, incident that occurred um, uh, is going to have a more of a direct impact on the you know let's face it the travel and hospitality industry. But there's no doubt that little hiccups. Uh, and this was not little, obviously, but but it is in terms of the global economy. But little hiccups do have a huge ripple uh, effects uh, on an economy, and we've been going through a number of them anyway: port closures and you know oil I issues with Iran and and uh, the Chinese uh, financial uh, crisis and such. So all these they they all add up, and and you may it could very well that this kind of is the camel the, the straw that breaks the camel's back, and we might. I don't think my economists would say this right now, but you might see us um, kind of uh, have one another slowdown for manufacturing in this country, maybe a quarter in which we contract. Well, there's another there's another point, and, and it's it's really a kind of a, a gross point to bring up. But when 9/11 happened, that was the first one. Not only did the United States go into panic, but so did other nations around the world. Well, here it is 15 years later, and we've had this event and that event, and we've had France a couple of times. We had Belgium arrests. Uh, I'm just wondering if we're just beginning to get used to it, that this is the new norm, and we're going to have these events happening, and it may or may not affect manufacturing, and people may or may not be affected uh, as much as uh, they, did, they were 15 years ago. Um, you're right about it affecting travel and uh, uh, ent uh, entertainment and tourism and so on. But yet the second night after the uh, uh, the event in uh, France, uh, the restaurants were all filled down by the Champs-Élysées. So uh, maybe we're just getting used to it. Well, and, and of course, you know, let's face it, the Israelis have been living in this yeah. Kind of under these conditions for many years, and maybe we are getting used to it. Uh, on the other hand, it's it's uh, you know those of us with children and grandchildren, we it, it's something that obviously we we hope we can get a get a grasp on and and uh, mitigate uh, in the coming coming years. But but I'll say this though, you're 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 quite right. I think it is something. The, the first 9/11 was um, was new, and now it's not. You know, now it's not necessarily new anymore. That's exactly right. Yeah, we have been uh, talking with Stephen Gold, who's president and CEO of the Manufacturers Alliance for Productivity and Innovation. Stephen, we appreciate you being on the show today. It went way too fast for us. We're going to have to have you back on. Thank you. Very good. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, tune in uh, next week to catch Manufacturing Talk Radio. That concludes our broadcast for today. Thanks for joining us on Manufacturing Talk Radio. You can hear our next broadcast each Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time 
at mfgtalkradio.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.